Luke chapter 15 where we'll be reading from and then we'll be preaching this morning. Luke 15 from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Ben. I'm the community pastor here, and uh, it's really such a pleasure to be here this morning and to be able to celebrate and honour John as well. It's such a special occasion and um, I just want to say that I've had the pleasure of sitting under John's teaching for around eight years now and uh, I just want to say to you, John, that the time that I've been able to spend with you, especially over these last few months, have been really um, special to me. Thank you for mentoring me. Thank you for just having those times of discussion with me. It's been really invaluable. So thank you. We are in a new season And um, I'm excited to see where God takes us as a church under Adam's leadership. And we all have a role to play in that. So please join us and pray with us as we continue to be the church that God God has called us to be. But this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever lost something that is valuable to you before? Have you ever lost something that is really important? Because I know that I have. Michelle and I, we were in a church in West London in a place called Acton and uh, we all decided as a church one day that we would go on a weekend retreat and uh, we went to this area on the coast and we just wanted to spend some time worshipping together, praying together, encouraging one another, just, just having a great time. And uh, one of the afternoons we decided to go to the beach. Now anyone who knows anything about English beaches knows that they aren't the prettiest places and... Uh, Anyway, we went to this place called Frinton-on-Sea. There's a photo of it on the screen. Doesn't that make you just want to put on sunscreen and get into your togs and go for a swim? Well, anyway, my Norwegian friends convinced me to jump in, and uh, it was almost winter, so it was freezing. So here we are running into the water. (laughs) My friend would kill me if I put a photo of him up with his underwear there. But anyway, he's in Norway. It doesn't matter. Now... Me and one of my friends, we started splashing, splashing each other with frozen water and uh, we started wrestling and one thing led to another and my wedding ring slipped off my icy cold shrunken finger into the unforgiving English channel. Now this ring was extremely valuable to me and I'd only been married six months and I'd already managed to lose this wedding ring. So we called all of our friends in to help us search it out and uh, eventually, it was just Michelle and I left, continuing to search through these waters until our fingers were blue and we could not find the ring. So Michelle had this great idea 
to get up at 5am the next morning when the tide was out and go looking for it again. Now, I was still newly married, so I didn't know you could argue with your wife back then. So I thought, okay, we'll do it. And uh, here we are, early in the morning, looking for the ring, and we could not find it. We looked for hours, and we just could not find this ring. Luckily, we'd bought it online, so we bought another one, and this time I bought it one size smaller. So we got it back. So just a different one, but same model, same model. Have you got a similar story? Have you ever lost something that is extremely valuable to you? This morning, we're going to be exploring a parable of Jesus. And in the parable, the shepherd loses something very valuable to him. You can find it in Luke's Gospel. If you want to turn there right now, Luke 15, verses 1 to 7. We're going to be spending our morning there. Let's just start in verse 1, where we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. There must have been something so attractive about Jesus. There must have been something fascinating about him. I say this not simply because he drew crowds, but because he drew crowds of tax collectors and sinners. Who would have thought that a rabbi, a religious teacher, this this man of God, would have been sought after by outsiders, by rejects, by the bad people. But yet here we read in Luke 15 verse 1 that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now some of you might be wondering, who are the tax collectors and sinners? Well, sinners is basically a blanket term for anyone considered to be outside of God's covenant with Israel. God had made an agreement with Israel to say he will be their God and they will be his people. And he set certain guidelines surrounding that covenant, that agreement. And if they, if they were faithful in that agreement, they would continue to be in that covenant relationship with God. So anyone that was unfaithful or outside of that was considered to be a sinner. So a non-Jew could be referred to as a sinner. Or Jews who strayed outside the covenant guidelines could be referred to as a sinner. So a sinner could be a murderer. Or a sinner could be someone who simply didn't observe the Sabbaths and the ceremonies of Judaism. Basically, a sinner is someone outside of God's covenant people. And the tax collectors, well, they were essentially Jewish traders. They were local Israelites who extracted taxes for the Roman Empire. And the tax collectors could ask for pretty much any amount they wanted, and they would ask for a bit more to make a tidy profit off their fellow Jews. Some ancient writers even paired them with robbers and brothel keepers. This is how hated and despised they were. These guys were crooks. I mean, they worked for the enemy, Rome, and they stole money from their fellow Jews. So you can probably understand why they were hated by the people of their nation. Now let's go back to verse 1 again and think about just how unexpected it is. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The outsiders, the despised, the rejected, were drawn to Jesus. Now maybe you'd expect the religious people to be drawing near to him. Maybe to hear something interesting from this great teacher. But Luke says the worst people, the irreligious, all of those disqualified by the religious system, wanted to hear Jesus, this religious teacher, speak. 
Now, the only way I think that this can be explained is that he truly had the words of life and he freely taught them to anyone who wanted to hear him. Every other religious teacher stayed within their holy huddles, but Jesus loved these rejects so much that he was willing to be associated with them. He received them, ate with them, cared for them. He sought to show them the way to life. Jesus loves sinners. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you feel a little out of place. Maybe you've never been part of a church before. Maybe you've always seen yourself as one of the bad people or maybe you've been thinking that God would smite you if you've ever tried to draw near to him. Well, I want you to know that that couldn't be further from the truth. Look at verse 1. People like you were drawn to Jesus. And you know what? He received them. He accepted them. He loved them. He ate with them. He wanted to lead them in to life. And the truth is that God's love is greater than your unloveliness. And we the church just want to say that you're welcome here. And you're welcome to come and join us as we together learn what it means to follow Jesus. If we fail to welcome you, we misrepresent the God that we claim to worship. That's what the religious teachers did. They made that mistake. Look at how they made that mistake in verse 2. It says, The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, in that culture, a meal wasn't simply about filling your belly with food. A meal was a rich symbol of friendship, of intimacy, of unity. So you usually only ate with people that you liked and people within your own social class. Yet Jesus was messing with the whole social hierarchy and the Pharisees' way of doing things. He didn't stick to the priestly class. Instead, he extended friendship to the rejects, the outsiders, the unclean. He was a friend of sinners. And the religious leaders didn't like it. They grumbled and muttered. They weren't happy about the way Jesus was doing things. Now, I think we need to ask ourselves some questions. For those of us who consider ourselves Christians, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Do we extend friendship to non-Christians? Or do we mix with other social classes that aren't the same as our own? I'm not asking whether you smile at someone different at church, but do you have friends from other social classes? Do you have non-Christian friends? Because Jesus loved non-Christians. Jesus loved every social class. He received them and wanted to show them how they could enter into God's kingdom. He didn't only love non-Christians, but he extended friendship to other social classes. Now, this can be really hard because we all tend to gravitate towards people that are like us. And we tend to avoid and fear people who are different. But in God's kingdom, there is no social hierarchy. One of the ways Mishan and I, we try to meet with other people and, and get, to know, get to make friends with people who don't know Christ is by just having a dinner every fortnight. We and a couple of other people from this church form a group and uh, we put on a free dinner and we just invite old school friends, we invite people from work And uh, we just have a meal together and just uh, take the time to love people and to get to know people that aren't like us and to make friends with them. And uh, slowly we've been building connections and friendships with people that we wouldn't normally mix with. 
Uh, it's actually not as difficult as you think. If you just take the time to, to plan something in, whether it's joining a sporting club or putting on a meal, um, I encourage you to, to follow Jesus' example and extend friendship to those who are different to you. We, need Christian, we Christians need to be especially careful that we don't misrepresent Jesus by putting up barriers to those outside of the church. The religious leaders of his day made this mistake, and they were mad when Jesus welcomed the sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus knew that they were upset, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now Jesus tells the religious leaders a story to teach them something. The Pharisees were especially concerned with holiness. They were obsessed with being clean to the point that they practically avoided anyone outside of their intensely devoted class of priests. But Jesus, and I think it's kind of funny actually, responds with a story about a shepherd. Now the reason that this is kind of funny is because shepherds were considered unclean. So Jesus asks the super clean Pharisees to imagine they are an unclean shepherd for a moment. And he basically says to them, if you lost something valuable, wouldn't you search for it? And the obvious answer is, of course, the sheep had considerable commercial value. And so as expected, the shepherd goes out searching for it. Now the first thing we should notice here is what this reveals about the Pharisees. What it reveals about the way that they think about the lost sheep, that is, the sinners and tax collectors. You see, the Pharisees are meant to be like shepherds who seek after them to help them and show them the way to life. Yet their avoidance of these people reveals that they do not see them as valuable at all. They didn't love them. And the second thing to notice is the urgency of the shepherd in this parable. He goes searching until he finds the lost sheep. He doesn't sit there and say, oh, well, I've I've still got 99. No, he leaves the 99 immediately and goes out searching to find the one. And I love the picture that this story gives us of God. You see, the shepherd is also a picture of God. Shepherd had kind of a double meaning for the Israelite. On the one hand, they probably thought lowly, unclean occupation. But on the other hand, they probably thought of God. In Isaiah 40 verse 11, it says this about God. It says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And we read in Ezekiel 34 that God is angry at the shepherds of Israel. Now the shepherds of Israel were the leaders of the people. And God is angry with them because they had abused their authority. They had abused their authority. They prayed on the weak, made themselves fat, made themselves rich. And God was angry with them. So he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Now do you see the concern that God has for his people in those verses? Do you notice the tenderness and the love, the protection. Some of us need to hear this today. 
Because some of us have a distorted view of God. We think he is angry and aloof. Yet through Jesus, he has drawn near. He loves us. He loves you. And he takes the initiative to find you, to bring you into his fold and give you rest in his pastures. You are valuable to him. And you can see this in the parable, not simply because the shepherd searched for the sheep, but because of his response when he finds the sheep. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, the shepherd is obviously pretty chuffed about finding the sheep. He celebrates his successful search with his friends and his neighbors. He, he rejoices. And we know that Jesus here isn't just telling us a nice story, but he's responding to the muttering and the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes. They're upset about the fact that Jesus received and ate with sinners and tax collectors. So Jesus responds with a story and gives us a picture of both of God and of the sinners and tax collectors. The sinners and tax collectors, they're described as lost sheep. They give us a picture of the human problem, of the human predicament. Michael Wilcock describes the lost sheep in this way. He says, Wandering on and on, from one patch of grass to the next, from hour to hour, eyes only on what lies immediately ahead, short-sightedly unaware that he is not where he should be, while all the time he is straying farther away from the flock and the fold. That is one sense in which man is lost. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the predicament that the sinners and tax collectors find themselves in. He says they are like lost sheep. They've wandered off on their own. They're foolish, short-sighted. Danger and death lurk all around them as they wander through the wilderness. They are utterly helpless and they do not know where to go. And is this not the human problem? Going our own way, ruling our own lives, making our own decisions, doing what we think is best, only to find that we do not know the answers to life. We like to think that we don't need God, but we're sheep. We need a shepherd. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the beautiful news is that God has drawn near. He has searched us out. He longs to rescue us. You see, you are far more valuable than a wedding ring or a sheep. God loves you. And he longs to lead you into green pastures. But you must first acknowledge your need for a shepherd. Look at verse 7. Listen to what Jesus says after the parable. He says, Just so, just like the story I told you, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. See, God rejoices at the sinner who repents, who turns to him. But he doesn't get excited about the 99 who have no need for repentance. In fact, I think that the 99 righteous persons are probably a picture of the Pharisees and scribes. They think they have no need for repentance. 
Earlier on in Luke's Gospel, they had already gotten upset at Jesus about the same situation, basically. And Jesus responded to them back then, saying, Those who are well have no need of a physician, a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, do you want to receive God as your shepherd? Do you want to know his love? You must start by acknowledging your need for him. The Pharisees thought they were healthy. The Pharisees thought they had no need for repentance. But the Pharisees are the ones who rejected God in the flesh, Jesus. Have you recognized that you are lost? Have you ever recognized that you are sick? Have you recognized your need for repentance? There is help to be found. There is healing available for anyone who recognizes their need and turns to Jesus. Jesus is here this morning. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus not only pursues you, but he gave his very life for you. How could you ever doubt his love? Jesus died a sinner's death in our place. He took our rejection. He took the punishment that our rebellion deserves. He defeated the enemies who enslave us and he offers all those who would put their faith in him forgiveness, life, love, freedom. He is here. He has come searching for you. And this is what he says. Revelation 3 verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is a good shepherd. If he didn't care for you, he would not have searched you out. Yet he left his throne in heaven and came searching for his lost sheep. And maybe some of you can hear his voice right now, maybe for the first time. Maybe you feel him knocking. The question I want to ask you is, will you place your life in the good shepherd's hands? Let's just come into a time of prayer now. We're going to bow our heads, close our eyes together. We're just going to give each other a time of privacy before God. I just want to talk to two groups of people while we're in a time of prayer. First group, I want to speak to those who feel that Jesus is knocking at the door. If you can hear Jesus' voice this morning, if he is knocking at the door, if you recognize your need for repentance, then I encourage you to respond to him. I encourage you to embrace his loving arms. I encourage you, I'm going to give you some time to pray by yourself in a moment, to just say to him, Lord, I repent. I turn away from just leading my own life. I want you I want you to lead me. Put my faith in you. I trust in you and what you have done for me. You're the good shepherd. And the second group, maybe there's some here who need to recognize their need afresh and place their lives, their decisions, everything in Jesus' care. Maybe you've come into God's fold before. You've been in his pastures, but you've strayed. 
I want to give you an opportunity as well to just spend this time with the Lord. Saying, Lord, I just recognize my need. I want to come into your care. I want to be led by you. Show me the path to life. So I'm going to just give us a minute now. Those two groups of people, just pray quietly, silently, in your heart before God. Let's take this time together. We thank you that you are here with us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Your love led you to search us out. You could have left us straying in the wilderness, but you have searched us out. You left your throne in heaven, Jesus. And you came and you laid down your life for us. You gave it that we might find forgiveness, that we might find love, freedom, wholeness in you. And Jesus, we just want to place our trust in you this morning and just acknowledge our need for you. We want to follow you. Please lead us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand together, church, as we respond in song.